Welcome to the Mahogany Tower, where we talk about science, we talk about faith, and we talk about sociocultural identity. Um, so I've been doing this essay series for a while. I love alliteration, and I love kind of bringing together ideas in ways that are a little bit unexpected and maybe making connections that people don't always make. Um, but also just having this opportunity to have a stream of consciousness of sorts and uh, just be able to share cool and interesting things with people. So uh, today we have essay number seven, booze, bacon, bad boys, and the B word. Um, and I have adult content today, so uh, you, you may want to keep that in mind as well. Um, I find men to be absolutely fascinating. Indeed, that's one of the reasons why I research and study gender. And as a behavioral scientist, I have the exciting privilege of developing and testing scientific theories to investigate how being a man influences subsequent attitudes and behaviors. I do uh, similar investigations for women as well, but they're not really the focus of this essay per se. But perhaps the most central phenomena needed to understand male behavior is understanding this peculiar, at least in the context I'm talking about, uh, one of the, the most central phenomena needed to understand male behavior is understanding this peculiar thing called Western masculinity, right? Um, and so for context, we can start with some vocabulary. Masculinity generally is referred to as, uh, or thought about as traits and behaviors that are primarily associated with men. Masculinity is culturally constructed, so there's definitely some variance across context, but that doesn't necessarily mean there isn't some overlap and consensus across different contexts um, and even around the world. Of course, I live in the United States, and I'm most familiar with the U.S., so I'll focus mostly on Western perspectives of masculinity. That's really our uh, focus for today. Masculinity gives both men and women a broad description of what men are and equally importantly, what men are not. Men are loud. They are not quiet. Men are bold. They are not timid. Men are mm, fearless. They're not fearful. Men are tough. They are not sensitive. Men are dominant. They are not submissive. Men are leaders. They are not followers. Now, obviously, these are extreme exaggerations, but I think that's the point. That's how masculinity and femininity works. They usually represent an exaggerated idea or belief of underlying traits and behaviors. And that, I, that idea of exaggeration isn't entirely bad per se. Mentally, cognitively, it reduces the likelihood of us mixing up men and women because we ascribe one set of exaggerated behaviors to men that's masculinity, and we ascribe a completely different set of exaggerated behaviors to women, and that's called femininity. And based on what we know about the psychology of identity groups, social identity groups, we know that even when different groups are in harmony, they try and remain distinct from each other. It's part of how you maintain the livelihood of your group, your social identity group. Now, that doesn't mean there's beef. It just means groups strive to maintain some level of distinctiveness. So football players try and maintain distinctiveness and uniqueness from basketball players. People in America try and be distinct and unique from people in Canada. 
doctors try and be distinct from lawyers and so on and so forth. So men try and be distinct from women and both masculinity and femininity help to reinforce that for both groups. And distinct in this context doesn't necessarily mean better or worse or superior or inferior, although we can have that discussion another time. Distinct in this context simply means the groups are separate. So we t we'll be talking plenty um, about masculinity today. In fact, by the end of this, you might even be con convinced that masculinity is everything, right? There's so much about manhood that's inextricably intertwined with Western masculinity, frequently in ways that aren't necessarily helpful. And I'm going to talk quite a bit about that today. But I also urge you to keep in mind that men are not a monolith. Men vary in the extent to which they subscribe to traditional definitions of masculinity um, and gender roles, etc. For instance, by Western standards, I am not a particularly masculine man. And I also don't really subscribe much to Western definitions of masculinity. As you would imagine, though, there are millions and millions of men, even around the world, who do strive to be masculine and hold very traditional views of gender roles. And there are definitely important implications of that. For instance, the expectation that being masculine involves being a risk taker, not surprisingly, has come to influence the health and safety risks that men expose themselves to. Even before getting into the underlying science of this, many of us can conceptualize and wrap our heads around this without, uh, with our own anecdotal experience. Men are more likely than women to smoke. Men are more likely than women to drink. Men are more likely than women to drink heavily. Men are more likely than women to operate a vehicle under the influence of alcohol. The pattern continues, right? Like we're not talking about rocket science. These are kind of just basic things. And I think a lot of people who aren't even scientists are kind of familiar with this on some level. Now it is true that on average, drugs and substance use appeal differentially to men and women. In fact, if you're a woman, you may actually avoid substance use because you may have concerns about being viewed as a masculine woman. That's a perfectly fair observation, but it's more complicated than that. So in the psychology and sociology research on masculinity, we're actually interested in the predictors of these health-related behaviors. We're particularly interested in these behaviors among men because men are far more likely to be users and heavy users of substances, uh, illegal and otherwise. Across many of these research studies, we see a relevant pattern uh, that begins to emerge. Men who endorse traditional norms of masculinity are more likely to be users of substances like alcohol, uh, cigarettes, etc. In other words, the men who are most likely to put substances in their body that may compromise their health are the men who believe that men are supposed to be risk takers. I mean, it makes sense, right? For these guys, smoking cigars in the man cave and taking five shots of bourbon are just normal things that men are supposed to do. Perhaps equally importantly, 
Masculinity is also about being in control. So instead of being safe and admitting that they're too drunk to drive, many of these gentlemen will choose instead to get behind the wheel and try and get where they're going. As you would imagine, the research in this area has really important health and safety implications. It means in order for men to feel like they're living up to the standard of being a man, you know, i.e. masculinity, it may involve them doing things that undermine their safety and health. It may also mean that men do things they know are bad for them, but they do those things anyway because that's what it means to be a man, because that's what a man is supposed to do. Indeed, now there's an entire field of research known as male role stress. The unrelenting burdens of masculinity may undermine men's health in both expected and unexpected ways. You can think about things like suicide and uh, mental health uh, and, and disparities that may exist across genders for men and women. But the health implications are broader than just drugs and safety. There are many men who don't use any illegal drugs and only drink in moderation. Still, masculinity may have an influence on their health as well. There's been uh, research showing that women seem to do a better job taking care of their body than men, specifically as it pertains to health. Not surprisingly, data in the U.S. shows that women on average live to be 81, whereas men live to be 76. As it pertains to masculinity, the gap here is twofold. For starters, Part of masculinity is being impervious to harm. Now, obviously, men, are, men aren't actually indestructible, but masculine men may pretend that they are. Whether we're talking about rescuing a kitten from a tree, which is a heroic deed, or getting in a fight at a bar, you know, that's more of a physical confrontation, or getting drunk when your friends come over to watch football. You know, that's overindulgence. Many aspects of masculinity appeal to the notion of being invincible, being indestructible, being impervious to harm. Unfortunately, that's not good for your health. Men are not impervious to harm. And the body that we have is the one we'll have every day until we die. So a man's willingness to recognize that and act accordingly will directly influence his health outcomes. It influences how regular he, go, he goes to see the physician. It influences his willingness to heed medical advice. It influences what he does when his body is trying to tell him that there's something terribly wrong. For instance, when he feels pain of any kind. So the notion of being impervious influences how you maintain your body in terms of uh, medical advice and access. Relatedly, though, it has similar implications for food consumption, right? Yes, it is true that women are more scrutinized about their physical appearance than men are. So they may show more restraint and discipline concerning what they eat. But the story is deeper than that, and it actually goes back to our observations on substance use. If you'll put methamphetamine in your body, right? That's the, you know, the full name for meth. If you'll put methamphetamine in your body or heroin, 
or a crack, then a triple bacon cheeseburger is nothing, right? I mean, it's part of how masculinity is constructed. Men take risk and they're impervious to harm. So why not have a triple bacon cheeseburger every day? To be sure, there's research that's been done in this area as well by psychologists, uh, by sociologists, even anthropologists as well. Food isn't gender neutral. From a cultural perspective, some foods are viewed as more feminine, i.e. think of a pumpkin spice latte, and some foods are viewed as more masculine. For instance, a triple bacon cheeseburger. Moreover, given eating directly influences our health and weight, you could say that eating itself is a gendered activity wherein men are expected to partake more than women. There's a precedent for these arguments, right? For instance, throughout much of history, meat has been associated with power and privilege. This, is, uh, this has been the case in European, African, and Asian society. And even today, meat is among the more expensive items in the grocery stores and restaurants. Meat is a delicacy. Moreover, historical records of excuse me, civilizations around the world appear to suggest a long-standing relationship between meat and manhood. We don't have to go back very far in time to find examples of this. For example, in um, the early 20th century, America was actively involved in World War I. Throughout the war, food was rationed to better support the war effort. Civilian women went without so that men on the battlefield could eat their fill of meat. Today, men eat meat. Although that's very bit throughout the world. In fact, this norm in Western society is so strong that men frequently don't consider a meal complete if it doesn't include meat. Men want the bacon, right? But here's the thing. This isn't just a preference. It's a norm. And when people violate norms, there are usually penalties associated with doing so. In this case, research has found that men who don't eat meat, vegetarians, for example, men who don't eat meat are considered less masculine than men that do. I should also point out that this study was done with a sample of all women, finding that eating meat versus being a vegetarian makes men sexy. In general, I would expect men to show a similar, well, less the sexy part, but I would expect men to, to heterosexual men, to demonstrate a similar pattern, viewing vegetarian men as less masculine. Now, if that's true, though, men may eat less vegetables and more meat just to avoid being viewed as unmasculine, right? Less broccoli, more bacon. And to the extent that diets really high versus low in red meat, 
versus vegetables may undermine your health, it may mean masculinity has struck men yet again. Here too, we see more health consequences. Now, one relevant question you may have at this point is, what's all the fuss among men with being viewed as masculine? Why is that so important, right? Well, we've touched on this a little bit already. Keep in mind that masculinity is culturally constructed and culture pertains to norms. And norms exist to set scripts for behavior. Deviating from those norms mean your behavior is atypical. And atypical behavior is penalized. That's true across the board in society. Although, you know, people of greater privilege usually have more flexibility with norm violation. But in other words, satisfying norms means, quote, good things happen. And deviating from those norms means, quote, bad things happen, right? There are many examples of that. But we actually mentioned one of the most important ones already. In the study I mentioned previously on attraction, men who ate meat were perceived as sexier than men who were vegetarian. And to be sure, this wasn't simply a matter of correlation. As they statistically tested for various mechanisms, right? So they, when, they, when they attempted to test for causality to see what caused these men to be perceived as sexier, they found strong evidence that masculinity attributions drove their effects. It drove the results. In other words, vegetarian men were perceived as less masculine than men who were not vegetarian, the men who, I guess, ate meat and ate vegetables. And the decrease in masculinity resulted in being perceived as less sexy. So in other words, being a vegetarian is associated with being perceived as less masculine and being less masculine is perceived with being less sexy. Now this motivates an important question. Is there, is there any legitimacy to this idea that nice guys finish last? Do women have a preference for these macho men? Even when they're really nice guys that may be, I don't know, less macho. Well... Kind of. So there's research in mating psychology that uses a sociobiological uh, or evolutionary logic to better understand who people are attracted to and why. Now, as you may be able to surmise from what I just said, they incorporate helpful insights from biology to understand human sexual behavior. Now, this field of work uh, started in the late 1980s and it's created quite the stir since. I think when you write research papers about sexual behavior and biology and evolution, it has the potential to be very contentious. Now, part of the reason why is those fields separately and collectively have been used in the past to support oppressive and perverted arguments in, uh, concerning underrepresented groups in society. So for instance, you could uh, say women are biologically inferior to men, right? Or you could say black people have an uncontrollable sex drive, and we have this biological study to show that, and so on and so forth, all this stuff. So as a result, we always want to exercise discretion in how we interpret results for this kind of work, because we're talking about things that are biological in nature, and uh, people don't 
really have much control over in many ways. So what does mating psychology tell us about bad boys and nice guys? I can be really technical and specific. I'm not actually going to do that here because I've thought about, I've weighed basically the pros and cons of doing that and I've decided I'm going to be a little bit more general in how I talk about this. Um, but the findings are generally as follows. When women are thinking of short-term mating motives, right? So for instance, uh, if we're talking about a one-night stand or a casual sexual experience, a fling, so to speak, uh, when women are thinking of short-term mating motives, there's evidence that they prefer bad boys over nice guys. Now, as you would expect, if we're talking about long-term mating motives, so for instance, if we're talking about, you know, who do you think is going to be a good future husband, the results flip. We see the exact opposite pattern emerge in the data. So in light of that, yes, there are circumstances where women prefer bad boys, but that isn't necessarily all the time. It's very context-dependent. Additionally, women's sex drive may influence how they perceive bad boys. And so the results are as follows. During periods of high versus low sex drive, there's evidence women are more likely to see a bad boy as having potential to be a good dad. So, for instance, when women are very, very, very aroused and they're in this period of kind of really high sex drive, they might be more inclined to see this bad boy as having the potential to be a good father, a good dad, you know, a good boyfriend, whatever the case may be. Now, remember, I told you this field has the potential to be quite contentious at times. So maybe now you can see why I said that. But taking a step back, I'll be honest. I think the findings are somewhat intuitive. I mean, think about it, right? For instance, imagine if I told you that when men are in a period of high sex drive, they might prefer the stripper to uh, the nice pretty girl on their volleyball team that they already have great chemistry with. For most of us, we wouldn't find that super surprising. As a guy... I already, excuse me, as a guy, I can unequivocally tell you that when I'm feeling a high level of sexual arousal, right? So when I'm kind of have this extended period where my hormones are through the roof, right? I'm very aroused. I'm more prone to think and behave in ways that may be at odds with my better judgment. That's why I think with my brain and not with my penis, right? That's what my brain is for. Because otherwise, when I think with my penis, I make a very different set of decisions, right? Now, these mating psychologists have basically found evidence that when women are in a period of high sex drive, it may influence what men they find most attractive. For instance, bad boys versus nice guys. And it also may influence how they perceive bad boys. In other words, they may think, He'd be faithful if he was with a good woman when, in actuality, that dude is trash, right? Now, I don't say that to be deterministic. Every woman is not the same, and obviously there's a lot of variation from person to person. But 
there is evidence that this pattern exists based on the research that's been done, you know, by these mating psychologists. Practically, that means that even though Western masculinity has some uh, many problematic elements, if you're a bad boy, you may feel there's some payoff when it comes to the dating market. I mean, after all, being a bad boy is pretty pertinent to masculinity which could be appealing to some women. I mean, bad boys need to be dominant, right? They have to be able to fend off threats and, and, and be fearless in doing so. They also need to be respected. Otherwise, people will continue to threaten them on an ongoing basis, right? So even though Western masculinity is problematic on many levels, some men may feel adhering to it is worthwhile because it improves their dating prospects. So for instance, women might come find them when they want a one night stand, and maybe even periodically when they're looking for serious relationships. But while we're on this topic of sex, relationships and bad boys, how do men handle those situations where a woman thwarts their advances? I mean, think about it. Men are supposed to be dominant and sure and successful. I mean, getting rejected by a woman doesn't really seem to fit very well into how we culturally construct masculinity. Even though we know that rejection is a normal part of romantic interactions between, you know, heterosexual men and women. So here's how it works. Identity represents important dimensions of who we are as people. Periodically, we have experiences that serve to undermine our social standing with our uh, with a social identity group. You can think of these as identity threats because they're threats to our identity, right? In our case, a man being rejected by a woman is a particular kind of identity threat. We call it a masculinity threat for obvious reasons. It's a threat to your masculinity. Now, when a man's masculinity is threatened, he has to regain it. There are a couple of different ways of doing so. But generally, he can, in no particular order, he can, one, elevate or reestablish his own social standing, right? So that's one option. Another option is he can reduce other people's social standing. So, for instance, his social standing is the same, but he makes everybody else look bad. And then the third option is he can actually do both. He can elevate his own standing while also reducing other people's social standing. Enter the B word. See, this is part of the issue with buster masculinity, right? You can't be masculine and be unsuccessful. You can't be masculine and be rejected. You can't be masculine and not be desired by women. So now you have this awkward situation where men feel their masculinity is threatened when a woman declines their advances. Whereas rejection is really just a normal part of putting yourself out there with different people. Now, one thing I haven't touched on, um, but I'll do here, is emotions. Because of Western masculinity, men are somewhat limited in the emotions they're permitted to display and still be considered, you know, a man, so to speak. 
they can show anger. And that's really kind of it. Emotion is a curious thing um, to think about from a gendered perspective, right? When we think about the gender research on emotions, one thing we know is that when bad things happen to people, they you know, they can demonstrate one of two emotions. They can demonstrate anger or they can demonstrate sadness. People generally get angry about things they feel like they have control over and they get sad about things they feel like they don't. That's one reason why anger is an approach emotion that leads people to action and sadness is not because, you know, you get angry about things you feel like you have control over. So when you get angry, you feel like you should do something about it. You're like motivated to act. So if a family member dies... You may get sad about that, but if someone catches an attitude with you at work, you may get angry about that. The latter is something you may feel like you can control, but the former is something you may just feel the need to accept. Importantly, we know being in control is a masculine characteristic. Not surprisingly, anger is a more uh, normative response for men than it is women, whereas sadness is a more normative response for uh, women than men. But the very fact that a man gets angry when his advances are declined tells us something important. It means that he thinks he can control whether or not women are receptive to him, right? Because we get angry about things that we feel like we can control. Imagine a man getting sad about a woman rejecting his advances. What he's basically signaling is that moment is I don't feel like I can control whether women or not uh, women respond to my advances or are receptive to my advances. This is all a manifestation and reflection of patriarchy. And the B word largely reinforces that. It's a gendered insult intended to degrade the woman um, and elevate his status as a man, right? So she... You know, she, uh, you know, declines my advances. And so I need to reassert myself as a man. So I insult and deride and ridicule her. And now I feel more manly as a result. My, my social standing has been improved. So suffice to say, manhood, particularly Western masculinity, right? This, this conversation is kind of limited to that. Western masculinity, it's very complex. And there are many, many aspects of it that are borderline, if not outright toxic but it's also fascinating to think about and fascinating to uh study so i don't know let me let me know what you're thinking about masculinity especially if you have thoughts on booze bacon bad boys or uh the b word just some random thoughts